Let's get going after it. We'll be in Mark chapter 1, so flip with me to Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback underneath the seat around you. If you'd like, you're more than welcome to grab one of those and flip with us. We're in the middle of a sermon series on the Gospel of Mark, and so today we are finishing off chapter 1. It's a little bit exciting. It's taken us a while, but we're getting here to the end of chapter 1. I'm glad that you're with us. While you're flipping there, two quick announcements. One, this Tuesday... We are having Election Day Communion, an Election Day Communion service, something we've done in the past. So Tuesday is uh, Election Day, November 4th, um, and so we always want to gather together as a community to remember that no matter who you vote for uh, or if you vote, our true allegiance as Christians is to Christ, is to the risen Son. So we come together and we take communion together. We'll sing a couple songs. We'll read some scripture. It'll be real short. I'll promise you that. It's not going to be a long thing. So 7.45 this Tuesday night. And then also, please be aware on your announcement cards, we are starting to collect money for our annual Thanksgiving drive. And so this will go to people in our community who are a little less fortunate than us and to be able to provide them a Thanksgiving dinner. So we're in Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verse um, 35 through verse 45 and finish out the chapter. So if you'll read with me, Mark proceeds like this. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, being Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You'll remember the last text we read in Mark. It's a day in the life of Jesus. He preached in the synagogue. He cast out an unclean spirit. Then he heals Simon's mother-in-law of a fever. He's just been an all-nighter healing people. So from all over the town, they're bringing people in. He's healing people left and right. And so he gets up early in the morning, goes out and prays. His disciples come and find him, and he says, hey, I can't stay here. I didn't come to be like the city mascot. I can't meet everyone's felt needs. We'll see this. For Jesus, his priority is to preach the good news of the kingdom. So his priority is to go from town to town to town to town. He's an itinerant preacher and tell people what's going on in the world. Um, these small healings for Jesus are, are small examples of a bigger reality, that the kingdom is showing up. Um, there are two kind of dichotomies we've got to avoid when we think about Jesus. There are some who think Jesus just came to do as much good as possible in the world, so to heal as many people as possible, um, to cast out as many demons as possible. And if you think that about Jesus, then you think he died a very tragic death, right? He was such a young man, probably 33 years old. He could have done so much more good in the world. And then there are some who think Jesus came just solely to die for our sins, Right? He just came to be a substitute for our life. We wonder why he even lived at all, right? Why not be born as a 33-year-old and just die? What was all this healing stuff about? Well, for Jesus, these are signs that the kingdom actually has arrived, that God is actually fulfilling his promises to come and to redeem the earth, to redeem all the people in the earth. So he says, I can't hang out in this city. I've got to keep going from town to town. And then we get another healing story in verse 40. And a leper, one with leprosy, came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, verse 41, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and went away at once, sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, this is a very moving scene here in the Gospels. I think 
one of the more moving scenes in the gospel. So this leper comes to Jesus with this emotion-filled plea, if you will, will you heal me? And we often, I don't think, really understand the weight that the leper was feeling as he comes and brings his request to the Lord. And so I want to invite Zach McKeska up. He's going to perform a brief monologue for us from the part of the leper and so that we can really kind of get into the mindset of what's going on as the leper comes here and talks to Jesus. Uh, so this is an, an adaptation from a book called Just Like Jesus by Max Lucado. For five years, no one touched me. No one. Not one person. Not my wife, not my child, not my friends. No one touched me. They saw me. They spoke to me. I sensed love in their voices. I saw concern in their eyes. But there was no touch. What's common to you, I coveted. Handshakes, warm embraces, a tap on the shoulder to get my attention. Such moments were taken from my world. You see, I was untouchable. I was a leper. And no one touched me. Until today. The priest didn't touch me. He looked at my hand, now covered in rags. He looked at my face, now shadowed in sorrow. I, I do not fault him for what he said. He was merely doing as he was instructed. He covered his mouth and extended his hand palm forward. You are unclean. He said. With one pronouncement, he took away my family, my farm, my faith, my future. The rags on my body could not hide my sores, nor could the wrap on my face hide the rage in my eyes. How many nights did I shake my crippled fist at the silent sky? What did I do to deserve this? Never a reply. Some think I sinned. Others say my parents sinned. I don't know. All I know is I grew so tired of it all. Sleeping in the colonies. Smelling that stench. I grew so tired of that horrible bell I was required to wear around my neck to warn people of my presence. As if I needed it. One glance... And the announcements began. Unclean. 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 And it was that. Incurable. Unbearable loneliness. That made me take the step that I took today. Of course it was reckless. 
Of course, it was risky, but what did I have to lose? He calls himself God's son. And either he will hear my complaint and kill me, or accept my demand and heal me. Those were my thoughts. I came to him a defiant man, moved not by faith, but by a desperate rage. God had brought this calamity upon me, and he was either going to fix it or end it. Then I saw him, and when I saw him, I was changed. I hid behind a rock, watched him descend the hill. Throngs of people followed him. And so I waited until he was only paces from me, and I stepped out. Master. He stopped, as did dozens of others. A flood of fear swept across the crowd. Arms flew in front of their faces. Children ducked behind their parents. Unclean, someone shouted. As if I can blame them. I was this huddled mass of death. But I scarcely heard them, scarcely saw them. Their panic, I'd seen thousands of times. His compassion, however, I'd never be had. Everyone except him stepped back. But he stepped toward me, toward me. I stood there, immobile, paralyzed. All I could do was speak. Lord. You could heal me, if you will. Had he cured me with a word, I would have been thrilled. Had he healed me with a prayer, I would have rejoiced. But he wasn't satisfied with speaking to me. He drew near to me, and he touched me. I will be healed. Energy flooded my body like water through a furrowed field. In an instant, in a moment, I felt warmth where there had been numbness. I felt strength where there had been atrophy. My back straightened and my head lifted and where I had been eye level with his belt, I now stood eye level with his face, his smiling face. He cupped his hands around my cheek and drew me so near that I could feel the warmth of his breath. Now go and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for those who are made well. This will show the people what I've done for you. And so that is where I'm going. I will show myself to the priest, and I will embrace him. And I will show myself to my wife, and I will embrace her. And I will pick up my daughter, and I will embrace her. And I will never forget the one who dared to touch me. could have cured me with a word. But he wanted to do more than just heal me. He wanted to honor me, to validate me, to christen me. Imagine that. Unworthy of the touch of man, yet worthy of the touch of God.
you, Zach. It's so easy to read these passages and not necessarily always feel the weight of what's going on here. This man who's been burdened, and as we'll talk about, by so many different things in his life, by society, and by the religious structures, Jesus reaches out and touches, and in this one moment transforms his life. Now, as we look at this passage together, there's two big scenes here. Jesus is out praying by himself, and then he heals this leper. I want to look at two things that maybe we perhaps can learn from these two passages. You and I as Christians are called to be like Jesus. We're called to become more and more Christ-like in our actions. And so, in one sense, when we read the Gospels, when we see Jesus acting and living and talking and moving and doing, we're seeing things that we're called to live and to do and to talk like and to act like. Um, Whether you know it or not, sometimes we don't always know this when we sign up for Christianity. The scriptures say that our goal, our eternal destiny, is to be like Jesus. Romans 8, 29-30 says, You are being conformed to his image. All of us are moving in the same direction. There's the same end point for us, that one day we will look like Jesus and talk like Jesus and act like Jesus. Jesus is the perfect image of what it means to be a human being, of what it means to receive God's love and to share that love freely with other people. And right now, in the meantime, you and I as Christians should be taking small but faithful steps towards Christ-likeness, that we might be more like Christ, that we might love more like he loves that we might act more like he acts. And so I want to look at this passage that we read this morning, and with that in mind, draw out maybe two applications for things that we can do to be more like Christ as we see him acting here in this passage. So the first one is this. You and I are called to, I think as Christians, cultivate sustaining spiritual disciplines in our life. We're called to cultivate sustaining spiritual disciplines in our life. I want you to notice in Mark 1 that Jesus, after this long day of healing and preaching, and this all-nighter where people are coming up and um, getting healed from him, means casting out demons. He wakes up early in the morning <coughs> while it's still dark, while no one else is out. And he goes, it says, out to a desolate place, and he prays there. Now, Jesus is known for this kind of rich prayer life that he has, this seeking out solitude and quiet to be alone with the Father. In fact, most of his earliest followers have this memory of Jesus. Luke, in particular, will mention this over and over and over again throughout his gospel, that Jesus, before any big moment in his life, is by himself, far away from everybody else, praying. And it's very, very interesting. Notice Jesus here, at the height of maybe his popularity, with all these people around him, all these things to do, he gets up, he takes the time, and he goes and he prays. Jesus has this inner, rich, spiritual life where he communes with the Father and perhaps finds his source and motivation and fuel for his ministry there. I think you and I, following in Christ's footsteps, should learn how to cultivate the spiritual disciplines in our lives. It says he went out to a desolate place. This can be translated wilderness. Jesus is not just finding an empty room to go pray into. He's taking a hike. He's finding somewhere where nobody else is. And it's interesting, Simon and the others, when they go to look for him, the word here for search, it actually is a, a hunting word in the Greek. It means to track down an animal. He does not leave a post-it note for them, right, where he's going. They're looking at footsteps. They're asking people around the villages, did you see a guy wandering around early in the morning going this way or going that way? And they finally go out and find him, and he is spending time by himself, communing with the Father, praying, receiving his sonship once again from the Father. We know from Jesus his, his prayer life is primarily about his relationship to the Father, Um, For Jesus, prayer is not primarily a list of to-do items or a list of needs or wants. That's a part of prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Um, But that's not the end of prayer. That's definitely not the beginning of prayer. Prayer is not also for Jesus just about 
having our sins being forgiven, confessing this laundry list of things that we've done wrong. For Jesus, prayer starts with the fact that God is our Father. For Jesus, prayer is this reminder that he has been declared the Son of God. You and I as Christians have been adopted into the family. We're children of God. Prayer for us is not necessarily just supposed to be this to-do list of, of things that we want accomplished in our life or this self-pity party where we um, regurgitate all the bad things that we've done during the day or during the week. Prayer should be this time. This spiritual discipline should be this time where we are reminded, we're reoriented of who we are in the world, of the most basic reality about us, that we have a God who is ours. And he's our father. And we're his children. And we know Jesus' prayers were kingdom-centered. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Our prayers likewise are about realizing who we are, whose we are, and thinking through how in our life we might bring the kingdom, how our lives might be kingdom lives, how the, the situations around us might be kingdom situations. If Jesus, who's the perfect son of God, needs to seek out this alone time to be in prayer, how much more do you and I need to do so? How much more are we in need of these regular, disciplined, spiritual times where we um, develop an inner rich life of closeness with our Father? Notice that for Jesus, um, even when he gets more popular and more productive, it seems like he almost at times will go out of his way to find more time to pray. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once um, was asked about the fact that he spent his mornings in prayer for three hours. And if you remember, Martin Luther did a whole lot during his life, was involved in a lot of things. And someone once asked him, how do you find three hours of time to pray every day? And he goes, it's because I have so much to do that I have to spend three hours of time in prayer. I would never be able to get done all the things that I need to get done if I didn't have those three hours in prayer in the morning. With Jesus, there's this corollary. His popularity and his productivity rises. So does his prayer life. So do his spiritual disciplines where he finds time to sustain his relationship with the Lord. Um, you and I, I think, would do well to follow his leading, would do well to work on our Christ-likeness in this area. Um, I was reading this text this week and already convicted. I've got November and December coming up or retreat weekends. are So as the retreat circuit kind of starts going, I've got four different retreats I'll be speaking at over the weekends in November and December. And so I know already that I'm going to be a little bit more productive, have a little bit more going on. And I'm already convicted because I, I know naturally that means that I'm going to be praying a little bit less. And I'm going to be spending a little bit less alone time with the Lord. And I look at Jesus and see the, the reverse should be true of us. The more productive, the more popular we are, um, the more we should be seeking out intentionally that time. So I'd ask you this morning, um, ask Christ followers how your, your life looks in this area. What spiritual disciplines are you cultivating in your life? There's a rich history of Christians cultivating these spiritual disciplines, prayer, meditation, solitude, worship, scripture reading. And if we're honest, if you're anything like me at least, it's hard to accidentally start doing these things. It's hard to accidentally become a person who prays a lot. And it's hard to accidentally become a person who reads their scriptures. You have to be intentional about it. You need a plan. Oftentimes you need to do it with other people. You need to have accountability. So to, to, to be Christ-like, to follow Christ, um, we, can, we can start and continue to cultivate these spiritual disciplines that might sustain us through our lives and through our ups and through our downs. And the second thing I think we can learn and, and apply from our lives here um, in this passage that we've read is that you and I, like Jesus, are called to bring love and to bring healing and to bring touch to the outcast and to the marginalized, to the forgotten, to the oppressed. 
to the ones who are hopeless and voiceless and forgotten in our world. You'll, you'll see Jesus, he meets this leper, and the whole scene is full of, of emotion for me as I read this. Um, you have the question that the leper asks. He, he, he doesn't demand to be healed. He assumes that Jesus could heal him, but, but perhaps doesn't know if Jesus wants to heal him. I mean, can you imagine the, all the emotions circulating inside of him as he goes, if you would, if you will, would you heal me? And watch Jesus' reaction here. It says Jesus is moved with pity. He's moved with compassion. His answer, and this is very, very important for you and I, his answer is, I do want to. This is why I came. I came to heal. Now there's some early manuscripts, early Greek manuscripts, that actually replace pity here with anger. And it says Jesus was moved to anger and said, I will heal you. And people have wondered if that was really the, the story originally, why would Jesus be angry? Perhaps Jesus is angry because all these people are coming in for, for stuff, right? And he's like, ah, oh, go away from me. I'm trying to be alone and be here with my father. I think, though, from the person and character of Christ throughout the Gospels, you might think Jesus' anger here is directed more at the system that would create the life that this leper would have lived. His anger might be directed at the, the very question itself. Are you willing to heal me? Jesus says, I, I am willing to heal you. And he touches them and heals them. A leper is not the kind of life that you want to have um, back in the first century. In the Jewish world, this is one of the worst diagnoses uh, to receive. Um, I mean, your life is all downhill from this point. You could read about some of the things that are commanded about lepers in Leviticus 13 to 14. They lived in their own colonies. They were taken away completely from their family and social life. They weren't allowed to worship. They were seen as spiritually condemned by God. Um, they could only be re-entered into the community through this priestly system at the temple. One of the things Jesus is doing here is he's crossing the boundary of the temple priest. He's doing what they are supposed to be doing, but are unable or unwilling to do. Perhaps this is why Jesus says, or is asked, are you willing to do this? Would you dare heal me right here, right now, away from the temple, away from the priest? You'll see Jesus seems maybe a little upset at the end. He sternly tells him, go and show the priest. And that text says in the ESV as a proof to them. It could also be translated as a witness against them. Uh, he's showing them, I've done what you weren't doing or shouldn't have done or weren't willing to do. I've healed this man. Follow the laws. Look at all the rules. He's healed. I've healed him. Jesus goes out of his way not only just to heal this leper who would not have been touched for years and years and years. Um, some rabbinical laws are so strict that if a man with leprosy goes under a shaded tree, you're not allowed to go under that shaded tree for six or eight hours, or you would then be un unclean. You would have to go through this ritual process of becoming clean again. And this is really just human nature, right? We fear what we think is dangerous. We hold on to our lives. Perhaps nothing causes us to fear other people more than when we think our lives are threatened. Think Ebola. Right? I mean, this is, we're in the perfect time period to, to think through the fear maybe over leprosy. This is a very contagious disease. So there's this extreme excluding factor to, to someone with leprosy where you take them away from society. If I told you today that I just got back from a country in West Africa where there was an Ebola outbreak and I have a high fever this morning, right? All of you would immediately freak out. I don't know what news channel you watch or what your opinion is on how scared we maybe should be versus how scared we, we shouldn't be. But in all of us, there runs this deep instinct, right, to fear that which might harm us. Even if it means we have to exclude people or label them and reject them. So be it for our safety and for our health. 
Jesus, though, seems to either lack this instinct or overcome it. There's no mention here of the crowd's reaction to Jesus' healing of the leper. It's likely because the crowd has left. <laughs> the leper shows up, and, and he would have had to announce unclean, unclean. Other people would have said unclean, unclean, made sure everybody knows that's how you keep viruses from spreading, right? These contagious diseases. And Jesus is the only one who stays. And Jesus, who does heal people with his words, sometimes with just his thoughts. Mark says, intentionally, not only once, but twice, he stretches out his arm and he touches him. Jesus crosses over endless amounts of boundaries here to love this person, to love this man. He does what he should not have been doing according to Jewish law. He does what he should not be doing according to common sense. And he does what he is coming here to do, which is to heal, to destroy these boundaries, to bring this man back into community with his family, with his religious community. He heals him holistically, his body, his soul, his mind. He touches him. He's moved with pity. He's filled with compassion. You'll notice in Jesus, there is an opposite flow of cleanliness and uncleanliness. And we'll talk about this throughout the Gospel of Mark as we go through it. Normally, in the way we've been taught growing up, uncleanliness makes other things uncleanly, okay? So if, you, if something is dirty and it comes into contact with something clean, whatever was clean is now dirty. From a very young age, you're taught this. Choose your friends wisely. Because if you choose dirty friends, you will become a dirty person, right? I don't want my kids hanging around with the hoodlums, all right? Or going over to some parent's house who's smoking crack and doing all those kind of no, I want the white picket fence in the suburban household, okay? I want to know. I'm tracking my phone on their iPhone, all right? I know exactly where they are every step. Choose your friends wisely. There's all kinds of these contaminants out in the world. It worked back then. This is how people thought back then. This is how people still think now. Jesus, though, seems to think it works the other way, and he acts like it works the other way. So when he touches someone with leprosy, watch this, he doesn't get leprosy. The person with leprosy gets healed, gets cleansed. The flow is reversed. And this is something that as Christians, we need to learn how to relearn or to unlearn. Um, for Christians, the, the phrase choose your friends wisely is somewhat true, but needs to be nuanced. Because to be like Christ, our friends should be tax collectors and prostitutes. Should be lepers. Should be the people that everybody else is avoiding. Christians, at, at some point, in our culture especially, um, bought into this lie that we need to separate ourselves from everybody else who is dirty because we might catch their sin. Don't miss this. Jesus thinks holiness is more contagious than sin. Jesus thinks the kingdom of God is more powerful than the kingdom of darkness. This is why Jesus is friends with tax collectors and sinners. This is why Jesus touches the man with leprosy. He's not afraid of it. And then you and I as his followers should not be afraid of it as well, no matter what it is, what disease it is, what outcast, marginalized, forgotten people group it is. We're called to go and to love, called to go and to serve, called to go and to touch. Ladies and gentlemen, disease is not a fear for Christians. The, the most basic primal level here of being a Christian is the fact that we're not afraid of death anymore. Like I'm, I'm still constantly... I'm amazed at how Christians let their lives be ruled by a fear of death. The grave is empty. <laughs> Jesus is risen, right? We're not afraid of death anymore. 
If, if, if Ebola comes, Ebola comes, right? This is not the end of my world. This is not the end of my life. There's this rich history in the Christian tradition where a plague would hit a city and everybody runs from the plague and the Christians stay and help the people who are sick and take care of them and bury them. Because even if they catch the disease, right? I mean, this is, that's not where their fears are at. They're able to, to love the unlovable. They're able to touch the untouchable. They're able to go and do things that other people aren't able to go and do because they have been touched by Christ. Because he has come and taken our, our uncleanliness. We, uh, we need to stop, as Christians, labeling people and rejecting them. The world labels people and rejects them. We follow and label and reject and we need to systematically and intentionally look around our world and ask, who are the oppressed? Who are the marginalized? Who are the forgotten? Who are the untouchables? And how can we go touch them? How can we go love them? How can we go heal them? How can we go be present in their lives? We need to do this corporately as a group. We need to do this as individuals. Um, we all have that group of people or that, that, that person in our minds who is untouchable, who we just can't imagine coming close to. Um, and I just want to suggest we've got to reverse this, this thought of flow in our lives. Um, Christians are called to have, let me say this. Maybe don't quote me on this for the rest of my life. I think at this stage in life, being a Christian means you're called to have a bad reputation. But not about your actions, but about the actions of your friends. Jesus is known for being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's known for enjoying company with them. And you've got to imagine Jesus is not sitting at dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners thumbing his nose up at them, right? Working on the protest signs about all the evil things they're doing. He's probably laughing with them, enjoying time with them. And guess what? The religious group hates him for this. He has a reputation of being a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and prostitutes. I think if you and I were more like Christ people would question our reputation. Not because we're doing bad things, but because we're actually friends with people who do bad things. Even our holiness is somewhat attractive to them. And we think if someone's doing something that's bad, the solution is not to run away from them and not touch them, it's to come into their life and love them and touch them. To trust that our holiness might be more contagious than their sin. Now you have to be careful with this, you can obviously use this as an excuse, right? As an excuse to go hang out in places maybe you shouldn't be hanging out in. Okay, a sex addict probably does not need to make the sex club his mission field, okay? <laughs> Let's use some common sense here, right? But this is what, what Christians are called to do as we follow Christ. We can't be afraid of, of catching the sinnies, right? There's no disease out there. We've been, we've been, we've been taken care of. There's no, there's no virus out there that's, that's going to come get us. We need to be known for being a friend of these people. Um, they're, and they're all over, right? And they're different for each one of us. Uh, they're different for cultures, these untouchables. I can give a few examples. Um, I think even in, in our Western world, even in Fort Bend County, we have an orphan problem. They're kids without parents. Uh, my family has adopted uh, a little kid. Um, some family friends of ours have adopted, so I've seen that process up close. Uh, I've seen the foster system up close where kids are condemned from birth to grow up and be criminals and to grow up and have a, a dark and hopeless life. And you have wealthy Christians with the means and the resources who just watch them grow up parentless and who, who don't adopt. Does I mean everyone is called to adopt? No. Does I mean everyone is called to be foster care? No. But, but Christians should at least care as much about the orphans as they do about abortion. 
Does that make sense? I mean, at least as much we should care about the ones who are already alive, who we're watching die, spiritually and emotionally and physically. Or um, particularly personal in my life is people with special needs, adults and children with special needs. I think this is an unreached people group if you're talking about mission. I think the church has not learned how to reach out to these kind of people and how to learn from them and interact with them in community. I've, I've experienced in my own life tremendous growth um, by, by getting to know folks with autism and Down syndrome um, and learning from them and learning how to minister to them and with them. Um, there are all kinds of people in our lives who are forgotten, who are marginalized, who are untouched. And as Christ followers, we're called to bring the same love um, to them that Christ has brought to us. We've got to, as a church, be powerful in both word and deed. There's this tendency to try to choose one or the other, to choose to be spiritual people who read our Bibles really well and who pray a whole lot and who go to church every Sunday, but then forget about the world outside of us and not go and touch the untouchables. And then there are some who are on the other side and they're they want to change the world, right? And they're excited about transforming the world and they want to touch the untouchables and, and do all these kingdom things, but they kind of start to forget about worshiping Jesus and praying and, and going to church. And as we see in Christ, we've got to hold those two together. It's our prayer life, it's our time together on Sunday that will sustain us in the world as we love the unlovable, as we touch the untouchable. We've got to hold the two together and not try to um, fall prey to the temptation to pick one or the other. This morning we'll come to the table. Every, every week we come and we practice communion together. We practice open communion, which means all are invited. There's no disease or sin that you've committed that keeps you from the table. You don't have to be a member of our church to come. And we come this morning with the recognition that at some point, one of the reasons it's wrong to reject and label other people is because the label covers all of us. At some level, we're all lepers. At some level, we're all unclean. And at some level, it's true that Jesus and his cleanliness has come down and touched us. And this is why we're able to go out and love others. And so we come to the table maybe with the leper's prayer. If you will, heal me. And we come to the table knowing Jesus' answer to that prayer. I will. We come to the table knowing the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for our sake, that we might become the righteousness of God. So I invite you to come to the table this morning, receiving his love, praying that leper's prayer, and then committing yourself to go out into the world and not only sustain an inner rich spiritual life of intentional prayer and scripture and worship, but also to go out and intentionally love those who perhaps are forgotten or outcast in our society. Would you pray with me?